So I meant to say something about this last week, and it might have even been the week before. But I think, uh, especially given what will end up the record that we'll end up talking about this evening, I think maybe it makes more sense to, that it just ended up that we're we're talking about it now. And that is that um, recently it has been noted uh, that uh, Billie Holiday's 100th birthday passed. What? Not that, yeah. she, not that she noticed. She's she did not notice. Yeah. Well, and the the interesting thing that that uh, so the PBS or NPR or something somebody uh, tweeted tweeted that it was Billie Holiday's 100th birthday recently, and and there was a quote from, and I don't remember who the quote was from. It's sort of irrelevant, but this this writer, I'll presume, said that we're always fascinated by people who are. Uh, Unable to steer outside their own destruction, and so and she's a fascinating story, and maybe somebody at some point down the line that we ought to talk about. But I thought it was worthwhile to raise the flag and and say Billy Holiday had she managed to live to a hundred, which was clearly never going to happen. Clearly, would that would have happened this week or a couple of weeks? Ago. Happy birthday! Today is Billy Holiday's. It's birthday? not today. It would. It's recently because I would but. say for some reason today is is four twenty. And there would be something so oh, it's, fitting. It's so kind, man. <laughs> so kind. That if Billy Holiday... Well, Smack doesn't have a day. <laughs> that's true. That's true. But I don't think that she limited National herself. National Smack Day. Yeah. And I don't think she limited herself to, to Smack. I, I, I think, think she it's was pretty much any day. Just it might be every day. Because you forget what day it is. Exactly. I think she, she was an equal opportunist when it came to um, pharmaceuticals. Illicit or licit. Recreational pharmaceuticals. Illicit. Yeah. <laughs> yes, recreate pharmaceuticals consumed recreationally. Okay, you guys, uh, welcome to Somebody Likes It. This is the show that we get together once a week and and drink. Um, I wouldn't say copious, or should I say copious? You did say copious uh, when writing it up for the for the website, but I wouldn't say copious. But we we enjoy a couple of libations. We imbibe and and then we discuss music and it, and we we pick a record every week that is. A record that that we don't know. We don't know. We may have a passing um, familiarity with it, That's but it's not. Put so, it. But it's something that that people out there somewhere really, really like, and, and we don't know it. We don't know it yet. So, um, so let's let's get into let's get into the show. Let's play some theme music this week. Um, I'm Shane. I'm Ryan. I'm Kevin. This is somebody likes it. Talk about your face? Oh God! What does that even mean? <laughs> I have no idea what that even means. Uh, Starting off with a bang. So yeah, woohoo! Yeah, um, there is an. I'm staring at an American flag. So when you see an American flag, you always you always think a bang. It's American. American. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Free so so this week we're gonna do a, a a different album than I than I talked about last week. Um, but before we get to that, I re I just wanted to 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 not posit this, but introduce this to you guys if you haven't seen it yet. But do you, are, do you guys know who Jeff Barrow is? I do not. He is a, the main songwriter, or the, he's the main creative force in Portishead. Okay. And um, he tweeted this week, um, well, he, I'll just read the tweet to you. 
he's talking about streaming music. Uh, 34 million streams, income after tax, 1,700 pounds, which is $2,500. Thank you, Apple, YouTube, Spotify. So, I mean, we, we all use Spotify. I use it on a pretty much daily basis listening to stuff. Well, and frankly, the, the record that we were going to do this week, uh, we didn't because it wasn't on Spotify. Catherine Wheel, Adam and Eve, which I yeah, do have, by I, the way, on CD. I ordered it drunkenly one night. So maybe at some so point. Now, but I haven't listened to it. I've never listened to it. So it's like that and chicken soup for the butt are the things that you <laughs> That's ex- exactly. No, no, no. He his, ordered chicken soup for the butt. Well, that was me. me but yeah, it's his I chicken soup for the butt. I coerced him buying it, I guess. <laughs> you planted the seed. And I, I, I just thought at some point thought that sounded like a great idea. So if you're listening at home, valuable lesson. Get drunk, order chicken soup for the butt, or Catherine Wheels. Adam, Adam and Eve. Eve. Yeah. Uh, I still want to cover that record, and I'm sure we can find it one way or the no, other. No, no, I have it on CD. I mean, like, we could all sit in a room together and drink, and, and that'll be our first group listen. Or that something might like be that. A, a, an interesting concept. We'd have to probably uh, start earlier. Can we also do a reading from Chicken Soup? <laughs> yes, exactly. Soup for the, I don't think you, do you That's a that genius book? idea, Mark. No, I am so behind that. Maybe we, that could be part of it'll, uh, There'll be a companion piece. Wait, do you still have the book? I do. Oh, okay. Well, yes. Then we definitely have to do It'll a reading. It'll be the, the Somebody Likes It book club. It'll be yeah. the Somebody Likes It. Two things. We got drunk and ordered <laughs> off of Amazon. If I did the not remember episode. doing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I didn't, re- I didn't remember ordering this Wait CD. Either. I would say we're I was pleased when it showed up. I only spent like, I don't know, three or four bucks on it. <laughs> I would say we're shooting for the middle, but that seems high. <laughs> it always so, seems high. Yeah. So this week... Um, we are. I'm uh, sorry to sorry to touch you, Mark. I'm gesticulating, and I and I'm just I just grazed Mark's what? arm with my with my finger. Oh, I did it again, and he does not like it. Just gesticulating. Like just um, just gesticulating. <laughs> yes, thank yes. you. Testiculating. Genius. Just shut up, both of you. <laughs> um, so this week, we uh, we were going to do Catherine Wheel, Adam and Eve, but we couldn't find it on Spotify. So my next album. And one that I've been wanting Logical to progression, by the way. Very similar. Well, yeah. it's very similar to the album I picked last, which was Nickelback. Um, so this is um, Frank Sinatra's 1955 album in the We Small Hours, which, by the way, and we finally hit the 50s. Um, Mark, you need to find some sort of like da 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 music to play right there. Wait, we finally gone. We finally gone beyond the 60s. Who's the fucking producer? I don't know. Yeah. I'm just going <laughs> to order you around now. <laughs> He's mad because I was tickling him. We were finally in the 50s. This album was released in 1955. Um, I like Frank Sinatra quite a bit, and I, and, and I like to sort of talk about how I initially... Th- I think that Frank Sinatra... Um, well, we'll talk about this in a minute. I think that he... A lot of people of my age and um, after you know the baby boom generation saw Sinatra framed purely in the context of the Rat Pack and um, the shit, the commercials he cut in the 80s, you know, like... That's kind of how he gets encapsulated. Right, right. But he, he wasn't. He is, he, is, he is a very multifaceted, incredibly talented... Per- I think he's... A, I mean, the motherfucker can sing. We can all agree on that. I don't know how you guys Certainly. feel about this record. Sure. He's an incredible singer. Um, that I didn't, I didn't realize, like, once you get past the caricature of, of Sinatra... Start getting to his life. I so anyway. A couple of days ago, I just watched that. Alex Gibney just put out a four-hour documentary, two-part documentary on HBO about his life. 
which I was like, oh, shit, we're about to do that album. So I watched the whole thing. And so Alex Gibney, for those who don't know, is the guy that did the uh, Going Clear Glowing document Gear. documentary. Going Clear, easy for us to say, and um, and another another good one that came out semi recently. That was the, the Scientology. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. But he the, did the a Lance Armstrong movie recently too. Yeah, but anyway, yeah, but he is a he is a trending name in the documentary world, and he just did this, just rolled out this Sinatra piece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, all or nothing at all. It's fascinating. There's a lot of stuff, and there's a lot of stuff on this video, on this on this movie. That backs up a lot of the iconic mythology of Sinatra, and there's a lot of stuff that sort of disassembles that. But that's Sinatra in and of itself. Let's talk about it in the wee small hours. And 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 you're the one that I'm I'm very interested to hear what you what you thought about this. Uh, in a word, if I could sum up this record, melancholy. Yes, and continue. Well, I mean, it's uh, it sounds like. A relic from another era, and virtually every song on it is this like really pretty sad song about things that it just aren't really working out. There, so this album created the concept essentially of the concept album. Um, it was on purpose. Right. Uh, like the way that the, the the myth goes is that this is around the time, right? I'm not sure if he was divorced from his wife yet, but he was estranged from her, and he and Ava Gardner. He um, was divorced from his wife. He and he and his wife divorced in fifty one or fifty two. This record came out in fifty five. Fifty five, right? So, but yeah. he and Ava Gardner had had this tumultuous up and down relationship, and he had wanted to put together an album that had a had like a seamless congruence to the, to the song. So that's exactly what. The, in fact, and he did that. That's what he did. Well, he didn't write these songs though, right? No, no, no. Sinatra never wrote a song, but I mean, no, nobody did. Uh, you didn't see popular performers write their own songs until the Not Beatles. Not until the Beatles, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but, well, but, but, but one but, thing that I, can I just sidebar for just a quick second? One thing do. that I think is kind of, that's, that's pretty relevant and interesting and it didn't occur to me until this moment. Which is that he was married to Ava Gardner from 1951 to 1957, which means that this record came out in 1955, which means that even though he wrote a whole melancholy concept record about how heartbroken well, he, he was, he didn't write it. Well, you know what I mean? Yeah. Performed it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that he, he wouldn't extricate himself from that marriage for two more years. Like, and it could just very well be that, like, that's how long it took the paperwork to go through, or for somebody to well, finally back sign in the day, anything. Divorce or was like considered like a, a giant, scandalous, awful thing. Well, sure, but but she yeah. was a woman that was willing to 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 wrap her hands around scandal. She had no problems with courting scandal. She traded on it a little. But bit. she was yeah. like the last year or close to a year that they were married, she was in Spain. She was openly dating a bullfighter. I mean, there was a lot of stuff going on. But one of the so the way that the mythology is around this album the first time I heard of it uh, many years ago is that they were on one of their outs and his heart was broken. And this is right around the time that he had his comeback. You know, like he he got his start as a teen idol. Oh, one of the cool things in this movie is that he had a Frank Sinatra TV show, variety show, for a couple of years. And, um, he, and Elvis Presley came on, and they, they had, like, a like Elvis, like he sang, like Sinatra sang Love Me Tender, and, and Elvis sang Witchcraft. And whenever Sinatra sang, this is in the late 50s or early, I guess it was early 60s after Elvis got out of the, out of the Army. And whenever Sinatra sang, it was a really cool thing. They both have great voices. But when Elvis sang Witchcraft, the, the audience... Fully stocked with young, 
teenage mm-hmm. women would go insane and then was just after saying it dropping quiet left and down. Right. Yeah. And the guy was only in his 40s at the time, like yeah. his early 40s. Well, Sinatra was born in 1905. So he he was 15. Uh, I think it was 1905. It's 1905. Oh, no, 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 uh, when he would appear, and I don't know if it was oh, I didn't on know TV. about that, but what a great idea! Well, it's part of the mythology of like what makes a teen idol, right? Or, or what makes a pop. Well, star, and this record right? is right on the cusp. He was like the last rock star before there were rock stars. You know what I mean? Like, right. Like you know, like as crooner as rock star before there were actual rock stars. This was like the handing off the mantle. Well, so. he he started that in so many. That's why it's so interesting. You know. Listen, why don't we listen to the title yeah, track off this, this record? And I will say, I want to say one thing before we, we'll, we'll get back to this and in, 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 in hone ourselves in, rein ourselves in, hone ourselves in. Um, to, uh, I want to listen to In the Wee Small Hours of the Morning, which is the definition of a home run, like in my opinion. And, and it sums up everything that this album, I think he had in mind, like what he wanted to present to people. So... In the wee small hours of the morning While the whole wide world is fast asleep You lie awake and think about the girl And never ever think of cows When your lonely heart has learned its lesson You'd be hers if only she would call In the wee small hours of the morning That's the time you miss her Oh, oh. Excellent song uh, in the least in the small hours of the morning and apparently uh, suitable for four-year-old bubble baths. Well, that's not to say that you'd want to sit in a bubble, a bubble bath, bath for four, four years. years cause <laughs> no a four-year-long bubble bath. Or even a, getting into a bubble bath that's been sitting for four years. That would be some serious uh, uh, wrinklage. It's, yeah. it's grown a little <laughs> bit of green on the side <laughs> of the toe. It's a little bit of fruity disaster. Anyway, uh, I was listening to it this evening before the podcast, and you know, you multitask and whatever. And so I have a my I have a four year old, and it was bubble bath time. And so I made her listen to this, and we we're about halfway through that bath, and she said, "Dad, uh, I think I like this." And so I was like, "All right, well." That's yeah. the endorsement we were looking for. Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> so, the interesting thing about this um, is that he performed in the middle of the orchestra, which he, um, instead of going into a baffling, like, which is just an isolation room with um, things that kill sound, he actually recorded s- singing in the middle, uh, like in a horseshoe. The orchestra would be around him in a horseshoe. Part of the ensemble. Right, so right. Yeah. Exactly. Just do the whole thing live. Yeah, he was completely comfortable doing that. But I, I think I, I feel like Sinatra. If you watch how uncomfortably stiff he was um, performing, it was one of the things that one of the things that enabled Sinatra to 
and again, we're just going to talk about him all night and not this record, but one of the things that enabled him to be Frank Sinatra was the invention of the, uh, the uh, unidirectional microphone. You know, you could, uh, that's what enabled crooners to be crooners, and you could get a close-up on the mic and utilize the mic to draw out, you know, he draws out syllables, he does it really slow, he backs. So his, his sort of, his sense of phrasing and timing is, is, is very much like a, like a string that you hold between two fingers and just move it closer and pull it out and move it. You know, he, he, he follows his own sense of, of rhythm. But yeah, you were mentioning how on this song in particular, he was, he was so far off the beat of what the orchestra yeah, was when actually he ta- doing. So this, this song, I think, um, I, I said it was a home run. Uh, it is, a, like, for me, every, I like the rest of this record quite a bit, but it's, it is definitely a letdown after that song. That song is so good, so of its Well, moment. it follows the template of most of the records that we've covered, that they start off with the strongest song on the record. and Well, and there are a lot of strong off. songs on this record, but this song in particular completely encapsulates what's he, what I imagine he wanted to, to present. I mean, there's, there's something like, well, you were talking about the elasticity or what I was saying about how he, he pulls back. When he he go, he says the line like and, and you lie awake and think about the girl and never ever think of counting sheep, but the way he sings it, he goes, never ever think of counting sheep, and he just does it in this really mellifluous, you know. And it's easy to parody. I mean, what all I knew about Sinatra before, um, you know. 15. Well, you know, he's all blue eyes, and he's part of the Rat Pack, and ring-a-ding-ding on you bozos. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, doobie-doobie-doobie. I knew about, you know, the Rat Pack, and I knew about uh, Joe Piscopo's, you know, imitation of right. him with Eddie yeah, Murphy. Yeah, he's in collusion which with the mob, and which he did not like. Collusion with the mob, but, but, but Eddie, Mur- Eddie Murphy and Joe Piscopo, like, uh, 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 you are black, and I am white, like an Eskimo pie, and let's take, take a, a bite. bite. Yeah. <laughs> You know, that's all I knew. Side but by side, you were my amigo. Negro, Negro let's, let's not, not fight. fight. We probably shouldn't so be singing terrible. on the mic. Yeah. 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 Um, but he that, hated that impression, by the way. Hated it. Well, he should have hated it. Of course it. he should have. He should have hated it because there's so much subtlety to... I couldn't get... Like, I was watching this movie, and I couldn't get Skyler to watch it because I think that she's still... Other, oh, well, let me back up just a second. So... I like that was my impression of Sinatra when I was growing up. Um, and I've always been, um, even when I was in high school, I, I liked big band music and I liked Billie Holiday. And um, but I, Sinatra just seemed like that Rat Pack, like groovy dude, and it just seemed so unhip to me. And I and I moved to Portland, Oregon, uh, in the late '90s. And one of the my first friend that I met there was a music journalist. He was Dave was. Uh, he was a big fan of Sinatra, and he's the one that really um, explained to me why his phrasing was so important. Why he was, I was like, well, I like Sinatra, but from that era, I like Dean Martin I, a little bit more. And he was like, no, no, no. Well, you have to listen. You have to go back and listen to you know why he's doing the, 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 It's the same thing with Jimi Hendrix and, to a large degree, Billie Holiday. Um, why did they do what they did? Like. Why did Sinatra go back and forth in the beat? And he he sounds like a trombone, actually. If you listen to his singing, what like Charlie Brown's parents? No, that's yeah. a trumpet, <laughs> by the way, dumbass. Yeah. And uh, the way that you know you pull like he he has this. 
I have a thought, which is that you, you've talked a lot about the elasticity of the way that he sort of plays with those songs. And it occurs to me that you can't really do that unless you know that song so innately that you know exactly how to syncopate off, off rhythm. Like, you can't do yep. it without knowing it cold. You're totally right. Yeah. And that's, that's an interesting thing. Uh, well, uh, to me, it's all interesting about what he did. You, I mean, there, there have been volumes and volumes and volumes and volumes and volumes about Sinatra. Um, why he did what he did, um, the way he revolutionized music in so many different ways. However, we don't get off this track, we'll never talk about, in the wee small hours, which is, in and of itself, just a, 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 a monumental achievement, in, just in and of the fact that, that, a, that a singer who was, you know, not too long before this was basically like, he was a bum in the gutters. You like that? You should... Bum in the gutters. Bum in the gutters. Yeah, I made that up right now. Well, he was trying to transition Pathos. out because, like you, you had talked about his first, his, the first version of his show had been successful, and then I guess he eventually came back into the second version of his TV show. Well, no, no, which no, was no, no, less no. successful. No, the the TV show came along later. You know, before he was he was a teen idol. He's a, you know, and then all that went away. Well, sure, okay, but the above, like I guess I'm talking about the that sort of that overall era. And this is also, like, while he was getting into movies, or a I guess Ava, for all of their falling out, had managed to get him in uh, that role in From Here to Eternity. And that's what which, made his career. Yeah, yeah, yeah and I've he won, some. like, a Best Supporting Actor or something. He for did, that, I yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that, that movie made, I mean, that, you know, you had a teen idol, you had, like, a, you kind of extrapolate that to, like, you rarely see teen idols go on to a second phase of their career where they're successful and you forget about the teen idol part of their career. Elvis Presley's one of them. Um, Justin Timberlake. Justin Timberlake is exactly who I was going to bring up. He's a more current. Do you believe that his audience in the 50s believed that a guy with everything with the, with, you know, with with a girl, even an estranged wife as hot as Ava Gardner, like living in those circles, do you think that his public believed that he could be this melancholy, or did they buy the record? Like, like not purchase it, but did they did they buy it? Did they buy into it? What he was doing? I, I mean, I, I, I tend to say yes because a lot of the reason why his audience became his audience was one of his great attributes was his perfection of the close mic technique and that those really long flowing lines, and that made his singing a ballad. He sang a lot of, again, he was a teen idol. Like, you know, I just imagine, like, the chickens in the Warner Brothers cartoons, like, you know, he's like, boo, 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 like Bing Crosby or whatever, and they're just, like, floating away and stuff. I mean, I think that they totally could buy that, and I think that actually, that's a good question. In my mind, I feel like that's an easier bridge like, this album would be an easier bridge for his teen idol crush when they had a crush on him um, it humanized rather, it. Yeah, 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 it humanized rather than like... Um, I don't know that there's a, there's a song on this record where he sounds happy about life. Well, like, no, but that's what the whole record is. And so here's what it... I mean, like we are... Like he definitely... He picked these songs specifically to, to uh, have a melancholy record. But I'll just read you what it says on the, on the Wikipedia page. He wanted to deal with themes such as loneliness, introspection, lost love... Failed relationships, depression, and nightlife. I mean, and that's what well, every song yeah, of Yeah, mission accomplished. Yeah. And he continued. This is his first concept record, but he continued to do thematic albums th- throughout the rest of his well, career. Well, Shane, do we want to listen to another track real quick? 
Um, I think we should. Yeah, and again, we, we, we got off this. One of the songs that I really wanted to talk about this uh, or, or talk about before we get it, um, out of this is uh, uh, It Never Entered My Mind. Yeah, let's, let's listen to that real quick, and uh, we'll talk about that when we get back. Once I laughed when I heard you say That I'd be playing solitaire Uneasy in my easy chair It never entered my mind Once you told me I was mistaken That I'd awaken With the sun And order orange juice for one It never entered my mind One of the things that I like about that song, um, and we'll, we, we, after we get back from the intermission, we'll, we'll talk about this more, um, but the arrangement. We even talked about the arrangements on this record. Nelson Riddle did the arrangements. And that's that not, does not surprise me at all. Uh, that Nelson Riddle did these arrangements? Yeah. It's, in, he's, it, it's one of those things that we complete, like, you know, Mark, uh, you were talking about um, writing the songs earlier. We, can, we forget about uh, people that write arrangements for songs. Because well, now, I, like, how many people actually played on this record? Probably like a few dozen. There's a list of them on the Wikipedia page, and it looks like it's like I don't know between thirty and fifty. There's, like, there's yeah. a, crazy. There's a lot of people, yeah. but it, it's something that's very interesting. Um, and let me just say for the people that are listening in to this show that don't understand what an arranger is, when you when you when you look at sheet music for a song, you have a bunch of notes, and basically that's written, you know, chords. And how that song is going to go, and it's up to the arranger to take that song and write in the parts of you could do it right in the instrumentation, yeah, the strings and the, and the right. brass and the yeah. And so, like all of, there's a, there's lots of stuff that you that that people have heard when it, when they when they associate you know they associate Frank Sinatra with "Fly Me to the Moon." Or stuff like that. Like, the, well, the, this record doesn't have any of his so-called classics on it. Like the, the things that we associate with him. I've got you under my skin, or fly me to the summer wind. Those are those are Nelson Riddle arrangements. Like, my way, or any of that stuff. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, well, one. So the thing that I was alluding to, or about arranging, when you when you said that earlier about about writing, I think that a good arranger kind of rewrites that song in their own mold um if you listen to sure. like like summer wind if you pulled out sinatra's vocals from in fact i'll say it in this way that uh who's that really shitty canadian singer brian adams no <laughs> but good good enough guess uh paul schaefer the guy the guy, oh, <laughs> the guy that uh, <laughs> he's who's the life i don't even know who's the, the guy life is a highway guy I just uh, assume, <laughs> um <laughs> I just assumed that he was kidding. Michael Bublé. 
Michael Bublé. Yeah, he's a, the modern crooner. Is he uh, Canadian even? I don't. I, he's I, an honorary Canadian at least. I, I just, I don't. <laughs> yeah. well, he, Which isn't saying much. So I heard, exactly. I've heard a couple of his. What is this, a boot? It's not a boot, it's a boat. <laughs> and we'll go into this later, but he. I hope we do. Oh, yes. <laughs> I can't wait. Uh, he has um, used a few of Nelson Riddle's arrangements for his. So here's the deal in my mind. If you're going to go out there and you're going to cover, or not cover, there's no cover. If you're going to sing a classic song, if you're going to go out there and sing um, I've Got You Under My Skin or um, uh, Blue Moon or you know Stardust, you, you, there are so many different ways that you can sing this song. All, all it is are it's notes on a piece of paper. But if you go and ape the arrangement, the instrumentation, that's what Buble does. He goes and, like, his version of um, uh, The Way You Look Tonight and I've Got You Under My Skin, they're the exact same arrangements so, as so Sinatra's. Shane, are you calling Michael Buble a sellout? I'm calling him a, a loser. <laughs> All right. <laughs> There's, look, if you, you have so many – look, if you're making – if you're selling this many records – you might as well do a new arrangement of the song. What is exciting to you at all to do? The, uh, anyway, the reason why I said that is that Nelson Riddle's horn and string and harp, wood, and, harp and everything, uh, those arrangements are so interesting and so good that there would be like, out of nowhere, there would be like little horn punches or there would be like discordant woods with, with on harmony brass punches in there. Well, it, it's, it's interesting to me listening to this because this sounds like just a relic from another era to me like rock and, rock and roll killed this kind of music it is but it doesn't make it anything less no, no it doesn't mean no, that it's, it's less good or you know it's, it's 60 years old right but, treat it with some reverence yeah but let me but when you say that let me just interject this real quick like i find this less of a relic than i do buddy holly or um i don't buddy holly sounds more current to me than this though. It, this to me, to me doesn't at all sounds like this feels mothballs like and like floral perfume. Well, I mean, I grandma. expected you to say that, but it, it, but I, I can actually understand both perspectives. Uh, it, this feels more could, timeless. That we, could, that we to could go down the rabbit hole on that discussion for a while, but well, we shouldn't. Maybe it does. Maybe the record itself, like taken as a whole, doesn't feel as timeless. Um, but to me, I could hear any of these songs in like a very good black and white film from the forties or fifties, and like they're good, but they also like spoke differently then on film. True. You know, boy, howdy. And, you know, no, they weren't talking like that then. <laughs> I mean, I mean, pre, pre-method. No, this was exactly when Method started to take over. Right around this, this time. Brando was the wild bunch. Like, But even yeah. if you go back and, and watch some of our early Brando stuff, like it doesn't seem as to today's modern sensibility as natural. Um, I... It's, it's, I, I mean, just I disagree with you a little bit on that, but I okay. mean, of course, it's a it's a different period of time. Anyway, all right, let's uh, we listen to songs. Let's let's do some intermission. Ryan's promised us he's gotten. I'm gonna do something a little bit uh, different than we're gonna be Frank off Sinatra. the track. So, Ryan, this week was yours, right? It was, in fact, mine, and I, I kind of wanted to take uh, a little counter-programming approach to it. Uh, and you did? Something about as far away from Frank Sinatra's as I could get. 
And, but why would you? I mean, so not not this. I mean, not there's anything wrong with Frank Sinatra or in the wee small hours. Uh, but I thought it would be fun to kind of take a left turn, Just push the envelope a little bit, yeah. a little bit. Some ring a ding ding with those bozos. Yeah. The <laughs> <laughs> Whatever uh, it is he used to. So yeah. Say. So so I decided to choose for this week's selection of a few minutes with uh, Butthole Surfers, uh, who was in my room last night, which. Uh, we'll get into it here in a little bit, but I think is a somewhat of a companion piece to the classic "A Few Minutes with." Very classic. Uh, pink panties. In fact, I just <laughs> so Stephen Bress, who will be on the show um, pretty soon. He he uh, he's a drummer. He's played drums with me for a long time. He needed for me to send him a text yesterday that said, "Have you heard Shandosia Pink Panties?" P a n n i e s. He's like, no, but I'll listen to it right now. I was like, you will praise me as a god after you hear this. <laughs> Did that happen? Well, I was praised. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not necessarily as a god, but yeah. uh, but Maybe. praised. I'd like yeah. to think that I was. So, but I do think, Ryan, you uh, circling back to the record, you did. You have you've uh, achieved your desired uh, counterpoint. It was produced by John Paul Jones, who used to be the bass player. For Led, for Led Zeppelin, and was his original career was as an arranger. We've been talking about arrangers all night, so full circle. So it is full circle, motherfucker. <laughs> all right. Man. On that note, let's uh, let's play the track. about as anti-crooner as I think you can get. There's no crooning there. No, no he's crooning yeah. in his no. own way. I mean, the, well, the world's different now. Yeah, so as opposed to um, the sad, melancholy, uh, blue overtones of uh, the record that we're talking about tonight, you instead have what, Ryan? Um, uh, a lot of... Like kind of ridiculous animation with Flea from the Red Chili, Red Chili Peppers bartending, and Mark, kind you were of bartending, not really. Like, well, no, nobody's really doing much anything in this yeah. this uh, video. But Mark was asking me like, who did the uh, animation for this? And I just looked it up. Rob Zombie. Oh, well, there you go. That kind of yeah. explains a lot, actually. And it also explains what Shane was saying is like, damn, this is really early to mid nineties. Um, <laughs> it was. I, I, somebody told me something a few years ago, a producer friend of mine who will remain unnamed, that um, one of the 
caveats to this album being produced is that he had to have X amount. Uh, I'm sorry, um, John Paul Jones, the bass player from Led Zeppelin, had to have X amount of cocaine produced once a week. Like in his writer or something? I guess yeah. Yeah, like it wasn't in the contract, but it was yeah. like mutually understood that he had to have a gram of cocaine at least. I think it was once a week, and this album took like this six was, uh, weeks. Gibby Haynes? Gibby Haynes needed no, that? No, John Paul oh, Jones, John Paul Jones the producer of the record. Yeah. This comes from a pretty reputable source. So, yeah, see, so I, I was going to produce this record, but I wanted two grams, and they just wouldn't do yeah, it. Yeah, they're like, no, fuck you, dude. Get get the hell out of here. I remember in the in the, in the the early 90s, Evan Dando from the Lemonheads um, spent a lot of time with Gibby Or Lemonheads. Sometimes there's not a the. It just depends on the Lemon record. Lemonheads, yeah. It's, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and uh, Gibby Haynes and Evan Dando would cruise around and... And uh, Gibby Haynes's, I think, 1988 Nissan Pathfinder, but they they named it the Nissan Crackfinder, and they would just go into bad it's parts a of town. Fine line between stupid and clever. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not as fine as you think. <laughs> I think Kevin has a We're point. We're breaking down into fake <laughs> British accents. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad that you play this. I want to read you a couple of 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 song titles from this from the record that who was, was it? Independent Maroon, Worm Saloon. Independent uh, Worm Saloon, which in and of itself is an amazing yeah. <laughs> album title. <laughs> but well, that's that's different than the worm. The, wor- the Union Worm Saloons. <laughs> so, so a couple of the song titles are "Chewing George Lucas's Chocolate," "Goofy's Concern," "Dog Inside Your Body," "Strawberry," <laughs> "Some Dispute Over T-Shirt Sales," "Dancing Fool." You don't, the annoying song, Dust Devil. The Le- annoying song. Leave Me Alone. Edgar, The Ballad of Naked Men. Clean it up. <laughs> and so you guys need to know. Is like, Clean It Up the last song? Because I kind of feel like it should be. It is. Of yeah. course it is. Yeah, yeah. so by the way, I, and I just have one more thing to say about the song before we get out of here and go back to Frank Sinatra. But so earlier we were talking about how. Capitol Records was the record label that allowed Frank Sinatra to have a second chance. And yeah, and it's an all Capitol Records night, I guess. Cause, yeah, uh, because Independent Worm Saloon was released in 1993 on Capitol Records. <laughs> right around this time, uh, Gibby Haynes also had a stint uh, as a late night DJ on KNAC, and he got fired for dropping an F bomb. Oh, I remember. You telling me that, yeah, yeah. You know what would be an amazing thing? You know how like I would really love if we could do like a Capitol Records mashup. Do like uh, take a Chew and George. You want to do a mashup between Frank Sinatra, Frank Sinatra and, and, and Butthole and Surfers? And butthole Surfers. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the world has been clamoring that the, that those two. Mark, can you do? Can you make that happen for us before the show comes out? I think that those two. Don't give Mark homework. <laughs> oh, he just said. On if he the can mic, do it, I, I want to hear it. <laughs> on the mic, he just said, I would love to work on that. Yeah, well, we won't expect it, but it it would be interesting if not strange. And Speak maybe for yourself when you say, we won't expect it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay, we're going to get back into We Small Hours. thing about 
doing a record that we're covering a record that's been out for 60 years is that there's just not you know the usual fertile ground of um some of these uh some the interesting review content but it's not to say that it hasn't been covered because it certainly has and i thought one um review that was actually really well written and kind of interesting on a variety of fronts was the one that was put together by the folks over at sputnik music and i'm just going to share just a little excerpt of that to kick us off here after uh after the intermission and it goes like this Having been a star for over a decade, Frank Sinatra's career looked like it was over when the 1950s dawned. A bitter dispute with his record label led him led to his departure from their roster, which meant not only that his recording contract was null and void, but that he was left without a radio show and could no longer appear in films or on television. Sinatra was dead. The man who looked like he might become the next Bing Crosby, which is funny in and of itself, had been lost to time, surely. One man was prepared to give Sinatra another chance. Alan Livingston, the vice president of A&R at Capitol Records and a major Sinatra fan, he offered Sinatra a seven-album deal, which the man himself gladly snapped up. One problem, Capitol had a roster filled with irrelevant, easy for me to say, anachronistic 40 stars. What was to stop Sinatra from blending in and becoming just another faded star? And so that's kind of where the story for this record begins. It's like... He it's was a good story. It is a like it's a great setup. I wish you would have set up this whole show with that. I, I mean, know, but but you know, then we wouldn't have been able to wait for the second half to start. Well, that's true. Um, I there's a lot of and we've 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 gone around and around a circle. And you had something before we we went to your um, brilliant uh, pick for a few minutes with um, about how you felt like it's really of its time. And well, I, well, it is. It's right on the cusp. Like, uh, you know, I don't know if uh, you know, Rock Around the Clock or had come out yet or Elvis had debuted just yet. But this is right when yeah, Elvis rock and the roll. Yeah, in 56, right? So this is like yeah, the year so, before. Okay, yeah. So this I'm is pretty like, sure, yeah. yeah, this is right when rock and roll was about to take over as the dominant paradigm. But this still sounds to me like, you know, an earlier era. I mean, it's hard for me, like me personally, because I, I listen to this kind of music quite a bit, and I can't stand early rock and roll. I hate it. I hate that fucking... Well, we started down this road a minute ago, and we didn't intend, we intentionally kind of didn't go there, because I think it's like it's somewhere we could totally get lost in. But I can see your point, which is to say that like the Chuck Berries and the Buddy Hollies of the world are inexorably linked with the rock and roll of today and you can hear how primitive they are in comparison to what you hear today and your trained ear goes like i can't do it it just feels like kids music so to speak i like, could not have put that back. i've been yeah. searching for my whole life to find a way to be tell people dollars. well here's my motherfucking wallet <laughs> i don't need you oh. shane drops oh no he doesn't he, he doesn't actually want the five i would no. pay it yeah i would gladly pay you that yeah uh, but I've thought about that a lot too. I've and, been trying to put that into words for a long time. Th- this see, stuff, to, to me, like the the really early rock and roll records that you think sound like kids' music are like the breadcrumbs to where we got to today. Well, and it's not. And I can see both sides of the coin. But I could. But I totally can understand where Shane's coming from. And, and I love like, going to like rockabilly shows that are like you know sort of that you know like they never. They but can't that's get a over that thing. Perfect. Well, that, I mean, it's based on the template of it's that. It's based early on stuff. the same things, but we're talking about in the grand scheme of popular music. I mean, uh, rock going. 
going to a Rockabilly show, that's highly entertaining. Plus, also the, the women at the Rockabilly shows. That's what the oh plus my many god! Times. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, aside from yeah, I mean, looking at the uh, at the long timeline of of popular music in America since the since we were able to record sound, um, there are certain things that I find completely timeless and. And part of that, and part of that is Frank Sinatra. Not necessarily this album. This album is is you're right. It's locked into a place of time. But his performances and his sound, I don't find that to. I find it to be kind of timeless, um, in the same sense that you can go into many people's dorm rooms across America today, um, men and women, that will have framed black and white pictures of Marilyn Monroe. Marilyn Monroe, yeah, that's yeah. I was gonna say yeah, James, James Dean, Dean. Uh, yeah, yeah, that will still have that. Uh, or the you know Holly Golightly from uh, uh, Breakfast, Breakfast at Tiffany's. Tiffany's. Those things are timeless. There's there's an elegance and there's a timelessness to a lot of this music. Look, I, I think it's I think it's a pretty great record. It still sounds like you know I'm at my great aunt's house. I know. You see, every time I'm about to fucking agree with you, then you pull out like this. <laughs> Incredible great aunt, not my, not your grandma. You're my great aunt. You know, but I, I mean, there there is this album, and well, not in particular, but I mean this album because that's what we're talking about. As a document, as a musical document, does sound of its era, but taken individually or in small pieces, it these songs sound timeless. But it's interesting to me that listening to what Kevin read from from that review and. You know, Sinatra's given a new lease on his career here, and he's to come into Capitol Records, and he wants to stand out from these these other artists on the label that are stuck in the 40s and the 50s, early 50s. I was most fascinated. I mean, by what the, you know, know, not not obviously, none of us were alive then, so we don't know what it was like. In well, 55, and the thing is, but nobody what, that what about this, this album came out what, when this album came out. What was what about it? Other than maybe this, the themed uh, genre that it was breaking. What w- what was new about this? What what made this revive his career? I well, I can say just just to interject real quick. I mean, I have that's a great question. I I think you know it, this album went to number two on the Billboard charts. Um, I think you have number one. He's at the p- absolute peak of his vocal prowess. I mean, he is. If you listen to stuff prior to this, no, his voice is pretty flawless. His his voice is at as good as it's ever going to get, and he's one, in my opinion, of the greatest male vocalists that's ever lived. But you also have this this kind of, you know, if you look at the cover of the album, it may seem a little dated, look a little dated, and it's blues. You know, there's a street light. He's smoking a cigarette. He looks forlorn. You know, it it. it it, 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 at this time, um, it's got a bit of a film noir. Noir. Kind of, that's yeah. what I was going to say, Ryan. That noir. This is when noir was really taking off, and it was really capturing the public conscious consciousness. Um, I, I think there's a lot to be said for that, and I think there's a lot to be said for the fact that record labels were still experimenting, like with uh, with with um, with the LP. If you go back and you listen to or watch movies right after. Uh, sound movies, you know, the advent of sound movies and the silent movies, the, a lot of those first movies fucking suck because they didn't know what to do with this new medium. And a lot of the LPs for a while didn't know what to do with this new medium where you had 12, 
10 plus songs on one album. And he really exploited that. And I think there's something to be said for that. Does anybody else find it interesting that, as illustrated in this in this little blurb that I shared, like that his choices were that his career was over and that he was locked out of, frankly, any popular medium that he actually had a chance of being successful in, or he gets a seven-record deal. Like, that's the thing that fascinated me is, like, why seven records? Well, so that's how, a, well, that's I know, a and, huge commitment. And, and, you, and you said that, and, and when you, you, you gave a little guffaw, that, yeah, you're right, like, seven. Whoever signed that motherfucker realized, like, wait a minute, we've got Frank Sinatra. Yeah. I mean, we're yeah. just going to wait for this to go over the hump. Well, and the fact is they don't have to make seven records if the first couple flop. Like, they can cut them out. Um, they're not locked into have to making Seven well, records. but you have to, but at the time you you have to understand like you're right about that. But at the time, people were were especially singers like that. But they were kicking they do out have a record a year go, yeah. or every six months. Sure. I mean, Kevin's yeah. right. Like seven records. That's, that's no. That a bit means of a that means he can't make any other records uh, with another company unless he makes the first seven. It didn't sound Capitol. like he couldn't do much of anything with anybody. Look, nobody wanted to do anything. Well, with at some all. point, he ended up with his own label, Reprise. Uh, well, that was a few years later. That was back when he was on. He had the world on a string. Uh, Thank you, Shane. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, Bring it all home. Insert, nice yeah, insert, us. insert a sound effect it's, there. It's already yeah, done. Yeah. yeah, please do not yeah. cut that out of this edit. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. I guess, is that a dad joke? That's a stepdad joke. Yeah, stepdad yeah. jokes. <laughs> uh, when you say uh, stepdad, I envision like, like a, a cat step dad joke. You know, like, like Ron? Like his name's Ron. <laughs> hey, he's got the world in a string. We've all seen, we've all yeah. seen Hot Rod. Anyway, no, we have not. Uh, you How about another song? Well, I think, uh, yeah, we're doing. Are we doing one more song? Yeah. So we do. Have, there's a couple of songs on this, on this record, um, where he breaks it. And so one of the things that I did want to say about this, and this, um, you were alluding to this earlier, and I will agree with. It, well, for a little while, and I love this stuff. Um, I love this record. I think it's sad. But after a little while, and the arrangements are brilliant, taken a couple songs at a time. But after a little while, it does get a little background music-y. Totally. And, but one of the things that This would be a great record to nap to. Or clean your house to, which I did today. Um, but they throw in a few songs that are sparser than the others, um, which I really appreciate. And one of the songs that I, I kind of feel is in that a little bit is uh, I'll Never Be the Same. Well, you know what? I'll Never Be the Same is that one of, you have a couple of songs where you, there, there's just piano, basically piano, bass, and drums in Sinatra, which is like nothing he'd ever done before. And as much as I love Nelson Riddle's arrangements on this, it's nice every so often to drop down to where you just have like a four-piece quartet. Anyway, having said that, I'll Never Be the Same uh, is a Gus Con? What is it? Maddie Malnick and Frank Cinarelli, and um, it's the second to the last song on this record. And as far as sadness, this one comes in my mind the closest to the opener, which is again a home run. If we if we had to give it a ranking based on how many hankies, how many hankies would that? Be? Well, if you start the record with in the wee small hours, what's is, the most amount of? Hankies? I was going to say, is say that say a four hanky song? I think your panties like, is missing. Five, five be the number. Is that a five hanky song? Okay, yeah, five would be the max. If in the wee small hours yeah. is a five yeah. hanky song, I would say that this song I'll never be the same. 
is a three and a half, three point eight hanky song. Oh, that's all. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. why don't we listen to some of that? One, One of those hankies. Can is I borrow point eight of your hankies? Can you just shut up so we can listen to the song? <laughs> I'll never be the same. Stars have lost their meaning for me. I'll never be the same Nothing's what it once used to be And when the songbirds that sing Tell me it's spring I can't believe their song once love was king, but kings can be wrong. I'll never be the same. There is such an ache in my heart. I think the, I think the Admiral Nelson is getting to. Maybe a little bit. So did you even say that? On the air, of what we're we, we have not talked about the glorious libation that we're so enjoying. So Admiral this. Nelson is 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 a knockoff. I'm assuming of uh, Captain, Captain Morgan. Morgan. I and actually like it better, believe it or not. Yeah. So this this came up uh, earlier at, in between or at the beginning of the show, and Ryan was like, "Yeah, there's this. Uh, I, we've I've got a little bit of this rum, and like I, uh, it's a Captain Morgan knockoff." I turned the bottle around, and I was like. Admiral, Admiral Nelson. <laughs> so, but but uh, fortunately, like I drink the really cheap stuff. I get uh, Ensign well, Johnson. Well, and frankly, Admiral <laughs> Admiral Johnson. is a higher rank yeah. than uh, yeah. Captain. So, yeah. well, they're doing something I right. like Private Phillips. So, I want to say I want to say one thing that I've noticed, in that Ryan's getting me a little bit drunk, and he he keeps proffering me Admiral Nelson. Like every time I finish a drink, he's like, "Hmm, hmm, yeah. you want some more? Hmm, that's how they get you. <laughs> you like some of you, this? You want some, boy?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, what are you what are you waiting for me to do? I'm just gonna be rolling around on the on the I'm gonna give you a I'm belly rub later. Right now, just like roll around <laughs> yeah. on the floor. James I'm literally gonna, lying on the floor. I'm just gonna garage. lay on So the, can we while he's doing that, can we go ahead and talk about this last song? Oh yeah, let's do that. Um, Shane, yeah, just stay where you are. I'm gonna lay one, here. One thing, you know, and Shane Shane brought it up earlier a couple of times about how his voice kind of My plays the, kind of plays the, not your voice. Uh, Sinatra's voice kind of plays the part of this of this trombone, as it were, that you know, sliding in and out. And this song really, to me, kind of features that a lot because it's it's this um, it, it's almost a call and response between the orchestra. I could see that where the strings come in and they have a refrain, and then he comes in and he answers it with his voice, and then it's this back and forth. And I really like this song a lot. Yeah, I'm glad you did. Yeah, it's, I, it is the second saddest song on the record, I think. Um, one of the things that about him, uh, I, I think he sounds like a trombone. I, I've heard uh, Quincy Jones say that jazz musicians love to play behind him because he, he played like a saxophone player. Um, there was like a, there's a famous line. Like he like, sang like a saxophone He sang like a saxophone. Sorry, yeah. not played, but sang his, like a saxophone. His instrument was like a work. That Phrasing. Yeah. yeah. There was a, there's a really famous like live at the Sands, I think it is, um, with uh, Count Basie's orchestra, of which at the time um, Quincy Jones was a member. 
By the way, so it we have one thing that we have not talked about tonight is that Ryan and Shane drank apple martinis, uh, apple teeny shots. That is true. They weren't just apple teeny shots. They, they were, were test in, tube in, shots. Yeah, in test tube beaker things. But no, they yeah. were like crappy South Padre Island uh, club shots that you'd be brought around on a tray. And and buy for five bucks they or whatever. Bad. I mean, there's no. no they're if, fine. If anybody ever says an appletini is a shitty drink, they're wrong. It's just a mediocre drink. Well, there's nothing distasteful about it. And I bring it up because when I thought about the fact that we were doing this record tonight, and you're right, the, oh, on, the, on, the, on the mythology alone, we could do anything. I almost wore a fedora. I thought about wearing a tie. I uh, I was like. I don't really. I'm not really much of a martini drinker, but I was like, "Well, fuck it. We should just make some." Uh, and, well, like, maybe and, that's uh, why Ryan brought the apple teenies. Uh, maybe it is. But the point is, is like uh, subconscious. I almost like Sinatra. Like and Sinatra, there was all this. You know, he was like, he went through a period where he wore just like an abnormal amount of orange. Like that was a thing. Uh, and I will say, uh, the, and because I assume that we won't be covering him again anytime soon, I will say that like if you haven't gotten a chance to read the Esquire article by uh, Gay Talese, oh yeah, it's considered like the best it's Esquire it's article of all time. It's Frank Sinatra has a cold. Like, yes. go find it, and it it is it is as melancholy as this record, and it's amazing. I'm like, a Sinatra fan from way. From a long time ago. Um, we've kind of covered that over the course of the show. But reading that, it's so... It's it's getting inside. It's like small in a man that went big a lot. And that's kind of why this record is, is so interesting to me. Like we earlier... It's intimate. Uh, it's intimate. Yeah. yeah I mean, not grandiose. Like, although a lot of the arrangements are like but The, the arrangements are, but it, that's, what, that's kind of what makes the... the the man stand apart, the voice stand apart, like, you know, the guy on the light post while the world is like, with all the big bombastic stuff. Um, what? It's pretty G. In fact, I, I should go home and like, note to self, don't forget this. It, there you go. But when, so you're talking about chairman of the board. This is the last thing that I want to say about this record. Um, so you're talking about the chairman of the board and earlier I was, was talking about how what I knew about Sinatra for a long time was that in the Rat Pack. It's sort of knucklehead vibe, that, that whole group. Yeah, and had. you lose sight with the fact that, good God, the man is, if not the best male vocalist of the 20th century, he's number two. Well, he was – what I, what I kind of came back to me and the, the, these – Two don't really have anything in common, but he was kind of like the Michael Jackson of his era. Oh, there's something on the movie that I just... By the way, he's not number two. He's number one, but that was a joke. Um, Yes, so I saw this thing in this movie where he and Michael Jackson were recording in the studio at the same time. And they like met and talked. There's a video of it. Yeah, and it was sort of like a baton passing. need to watch that. But yeah, no, like, like if you were around for like the thriller craze in the 80s, like, I mean, Michael Jackson was just like considered... I mean, he was just the as as big as a star could get. And he still Frank, kind of is, and he's been dead for well. A years. Even I think his death actually helped him in that respect. It always so, does. Yeah, for the merchandisers. Well, I'm I for one, I'm glad that we covered this record. I think it's been I think it's been uh, it's 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 been a welcome change of pace, and I think frankly, it's interesting to do something we hadn't done before. Welcome from Nickelback. Or just good God, man! I think yeah. like every Nickelback. other record should be Nickelback from here on yeah, out. Uh, 
Well, I can do stuff like that if you'd like. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you may have to find a different garage. Let us, yeah, let us not do that. But anyway, um, yeah, thanks Wait a for, minute. Uh, You're the motherfucker that picked bad out of hell. Yeah, Mark, you which can't really is, say anything. Which there is, out. at this point, I cannot even think of a record. Hang on, I, hang on. Okay, I picked bad out of hell. You guys kept me around, so. Yeah, that's true. Well, it's because <laughs> yeah. you hated it as much as we did. But just never forget that if you ever give me shit about picking a Nickelback there's, record. There, so there's something to be said for uh, picking albums that we can beat like a pinata. To use a phrase that that uh, Shane once mentioned right before we started to do this show, and I think it's that's really accurate. But this record wasn't that. Like this was a, uh, you know, I think you guys liked it more than I did, but I didn't hate it. It just sounds to me like an old movie. It I does. Mean, I, it makes sense yeah, to me. But sure. you have, I, I think, one of the things that makes it, and we've covered this over the course, you know, of the night, is that you have to put it in context. Well, certainly, Why? but it's just r- less relevant to me. Yeah, I would definitely say that, that anything from the my, rock era. Uh, my reaction to it is much more of appreciation than it is of liking this. Album. Yeah, it's 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 like in a you know it's in a light box on a pedestal in a museum. Sure, I mean, more than it is something that I relate to. I mean, that's, well, th- those are both in, in very valid opinions. But I will say this: like when we listened in bet- in the first break to in the wee small hours of the morning, that was the first time not any of us have ever said. Let's get to it. Let's get to it. We listened to the whole song till it ended. Yeah, it's well, it's only like two minutes long. No, it's three minutes. Three minutes long. and one second. All right, and it, and you know it's it's <laughs> enjoyable. So, all right, solid song, solid record. Well, hey, thank you, Shane. I couldn't tell if that was sarcastic. or No, 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 solid song, solid record. A little bit outside of my normal purview. Sure. Uh, well, that's what we're doing here. And we're expanding our range. Well played. And Kevin, you've got this week's uh, new track for. Current affair, correct? I do. Do I? Do I? I don't. Rem- I never remember. Do I? Do you want me to tell you now, or do you want? Or let's just play the song, and we'll get into it. In a second. All right, let's do it. Our stories are real. A current affair. Our stories are original. Morning point. You have no rules here. If you want to see a story that answers the question, no, he didn't do that, did he? Watch a current affair. A crying like your hands when it's so well known by both you and I, nobody's forcing you in that sea on that airplane. Nobody's forcing that our prize land into your bed. And you can paint yourself. First of all, you're welcome. 
That was uh, that was the fu- that was Future Birds uh, track, Painted Tears. And uh, I, I've just been waiting for us to get around to uh, a song with a uh, dashboard-mounted caribou uh, and <laughs> primitive emoticons <laughs> that were syncopated to the to the track. To, to the track, yes, yeah. It's it is I you know and I don't think that I'm going out on a limb and saying that it's it's different than most videos I've seen certainly I don't uh, think I'm gonna go out on a limb and saying that was the most irritating video I have ever seen <laughs> Shane looks visibly <laughs> like wronged <laughs> you know wait, like, I, couldn't like I was laughing and Kevin laughing. was laughing yeah and he was turning around like what's wrong with what's you? wrong with you like <laughs> I thought you picked it to annoy us and then when you started laughing I'm like this is the most one of it's hard for me to come up with something more irritating than that fucking emoticon in the middle of the screen. Because I want to say this. Because you're a reader? I guess so. Yeah. What are you re- what you reading for? Yeah. <laughs> that song kicked ass. What you reading yeah, like for? Yeah. That, that yeah. song is funny as shit. Yeah. And that little caribou on the left-hand corner of the screen, that was fucking funny. And then occasionally they would like, re- so the, the, the video is like, you you see it through the through through the windscreen through the windshield of a. Were you British? Their tour. But every yeah, single one of you van. gets sure. giving me shit. Go ahead, stop. Um, you can see the you can see the roads that they're traveling on through the the windscreen <laughs> of um, of the of the whatever car they're driving, and then and then it flashes back every so often to a fat dude with a beard and a hot tub. <laughs> well, yeah. the thing that strikes me is like. And I that do, shit's I, funny. I do think that like it's the combination of I'm with you. I think it's a great song, and I think I think that video is fucking hilarious. Dude, I'm all about the emoticon. <laughs> you're like, wrong, like that, and you're wrong. Uh, yeah, and you're wrong. I'm and a, it's I'm okay a good thing it. that this is an objective. Co- uh, you know what would be more? You know, <laughs> it's not an empirical conversation. It pretty much is. <laughs> yeah. You know what would be okay? You're right. It's not empirical. It definitely this is subjective. But if you were to come over to me right now, Ryan, and start flicking my ear. Like while I watch, you'd enjoy that about as much. As much, it's so. So, do you hate the the Pixies? Here comes your man video, where they just like basically mock uh, oh, lip yeah, syncing. Yeah, where they just open their mouths, like stretched out. They're all stretched out, and they just open their mouths. Yeah, it's not funny to me at all. But that's I that, like it. That's not funny because you have like one. You have this funny, fun thing going on where they if they just had the fake. Hood ornament caribou on the left of the screen, and like they really should have consulted you first. Like, let's be honest, they should have consulted you first. Why wouldn't they have easily? (laughs) You know what? Uh, Future birds, like, go ahead, look me up on Facebook. My name is Shane Bartell, (laughs) and send me, um. If you would like any of your, your, yeah, your future video treatments, make and sure I they will let you pass know. Shane Muster first. <laughs> well, I would say I don't say they have to pass by Muster, but I definitely can give them some good. Idea. Do you hear the one that I was talking about about the talking dogs and the popcorn? Oh God, that's good stuff. <laughs> All right, so, so I'm just look, guys, future birds. I have good ideas. Here's the, here's the, here's the thing. The what the thing that I, I I frankly I personally found the emoticon thing. Hilarious for uh, I'm with you, dude. You guys, are, you're insane. We're from the same gene pool. But the thing is that that's not the only funny thing about that video. The other funny thing is 
They never really get anywhere. It's like essentially an homage to being on the road, kind of. No, but that's what's really and then, fun. And then when they get there, it's they, just a, you know, they it's do a get hot they tub. do get somewhere. They're in a hot tub. Well, yeah. well, you know what it feels like to me? Like, yeah, like so. It's 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 a it's the windshield of this. It's the windscreen of the car. They're driving down. You're just gonna keep going. Back yeah, there. I am. Yeah. And then at one point, like the the windshield wipers are slapping, and they and they're they're. Uh, Getting, cleaning it, cleaning the bugs, cleaning the windshield, yeah. cleaning the bugs off the windshield, and there's this weird like caribou reindeer thing off to the off the side, but it it obviously has just been superimposed onto this video, and then every so often this dude and fat dude in, with a beard and a hot tub will come in, and some chicks getting in a hot tub, and then he goes, they go, away, another and guy, then they. Then they Oh well, whatever. It's another guy. I don't know. I was this is I was so irritated with the fucking. Video. I just saw another person. So then at the end, they they clink their plastic cups together. Like that in and of itself is very funny and very amusing. And then they, then there's this irritating, primitive, emo. I don't know. I'm, I like. I thought that was funny as shit. It's not you. You. I've never seen it before or since. We probably. I'm, won't I'm with see Kevin, it again. and uh, like, clearly we're right, and you are wrong. It was fine, but but I but you know nothing's for everybody. Did anybody else okay. notice like, that uh, near the end of the video that the uh, the windscreen had actually cracked? I did notice that. You notice like, that more. That's what he did say. Windscreen. Well, to his to his well. To, uh, He's allowed to. He's married to a woman from the British Crown. Yeah, you can say whatever you want. He's not allowed to. Like you allow him. Yeah, I don't so, know. I think you were just listening to Depeche Mode by the way, yesterday I th- or something. I think probably you were, you were yeah. talking about. You did mention the fact that you actually really like the track. Oh, it's and a great I, song. And I think uh, I want to say that Delbert McClinton plays Wurlitzer on that song. Yeah, the Whirly was. I didn't know. I don't yeah, know if he exactly. did or not, but the Wurlitzer was really prominent. Um, it sounds great. So Future and Birds. This is a, so this is like a nice they're an country band, band, I guess. They're a band from Athens. I assume that they're kind of the alternative. Like, I don't. You know. I haven't heard that in a while. Did you say alternative? I, yeah. I don't think I've ever heard that. No, yeah. that was a thing. Like, was a it? while back? Yeah. That, that song sounded alt country alternative. That sounded like yeah. me and you going to see country shows in 1995. Is Git? That sounds about right. Is that yeah, where yeah. Git came from? Git came from Git. South by. Yeah. Uh, yep. When we were just uh, coming up with uh, side projects for Shane to pursue. Yeah. One of which was Go Girl. Which I don't, I don't know that we've talked about. Yeah, we'll talk about Go Girl later. Let's get out yeah. of the show, man. So next week is the Moon Tower Comedy Fest. And I had talked about um, the next time that I got to choose a record, wanting to do uh, Kyle Kinane's Whiskey Icarus, which we ended up uh, postponing because we wanted to try and get a comedian to sit in with us. And I've got a, a comedian who's at a comedy festival at the Akumal uh, Comedy Festival in Mexico right now who's going to be in town next week, who's going to sit in, J.T. Habersat, uh, with us, who's actually a friend of Kyle Kinane's and is going to be a part of the podcast hopefully next week. So, so this gentleman's uh, schedule will allow him to he, sit in. He's on week. the road a ton, and he's and he is in town because uh, Moon Tower Comedy Festival, which, for those of you who don't know, is a, a pretty main... Uh, it's has, become it's kind it's of a big deal. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's happening Austin here Austin. needs today. more festivals. It's clearly, clearly. But anyway, so yeah, so uh, next go around would be uh, Whiskey Icarus. And then Shane after that. So, what we talked about last week um, was we're all going to go back and, and revisit uh, an artist that we've done before. One of the other things that we talked about doing at some point is we're going to do another mixtape uh, Memorial Day. Yeah, Memorial yeah, Day. Yeah, so um, we've got that'll take us right up. 
pretty much through Memorial Day, and we're also going to do producer Mark picks the show. Takes over the show. Takes over the show. Yeah, hijacks the show. Yeah, so he's yes. going to pick all three segments one week. Okay. So, yeah, that'll take us right up to the mixtape. So we're going to have, like, gimmicky shows, I guess, for the next six weeks. Well, or, or, you know, glass It's half, all gimmicky. Glass half full, bitches. Yeah, you know. Right. Konnichiwa. Yeah. My show will not be a gimmick. <laughs> glass half full, bitches. Konnichiwa. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Anyway. All right. Well, that may be our cue. All right, thank you guys for listening. We're going to get out of here. I'm Shane. I'm Ryan. I'm Kevin. And I'm Mark. Somebody likes it.